When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who started creating a Mass Effect town in Sims 4, because I think I might have an addiction. And I'm Favada, the girl who wants to see your episode of Intervention when it comes out. I, however, am an enabler, which is why we have this podcast in the first place. Oh, and I have watched several seasons of Intervention and Addiction, so yeah, I could see a gaming addiction episode. I might be on it. (laughs) But as always, we get up close and personal with each of our character breakdowns. So if you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. (laughs) Thanks, N7, for the spoiler alert. The only person I know to be ninjamanced by today's subject. Ooh. Quickly before we start, though, major trigger warning for discussions on child abuse, sexual, physical, and psychological torture, and just general terrible shit. Today's subject's past is not pretty, and probably more swearing than in our normal episodes. If you haven't guessed already... Today's episode is on Jack from Mass Effect 2. I figure every time someone dies and it's not me, my chances of survival go up. Simple. Jack, also known as Subject Zero, is probably one of the most powerful human biotics alive. She's a notorious criminal whose past crimes include murder, piracy, kidnapping, and vandalism. She is a romance option for male shepherd only despite having recorded lines for both options. More on this later. But, like many biotically gifted humans, the direction of her early life was not a choice she was allowed to make. She was born in 2161, but she was abducted from Eden Prime by Cerberus in 2165, at the age of four. Too young. As with all early human biotics... Jack's biotic potential was the result of accidental element zero exposure whilst in the womb. Jack's biotic potential was much greater than the average human, though, and she became Cerberus's prime test subject on Pragya's Telton facility, where they tortured her and other children to increase her biotic abilities. Like any Cerberus operation, 
It was ruthlessly efficient, lavishly funded, and morally and ethically indifferent. They tested biotic enhancements on the other children. If they were fatal, they didn't give them to Jack. But if they were successful, Jack was then forcibly enhanced. Part of the training, if you could call it that, was psychological and physical torture, with the idea that exposure to pain led to greater biotic abilities, and also to test how stress affected her abilities. She was kept in a cell with a one-way window out into the rest of the facility. She could see everyone, but no one could see her. She was so isolated that she would scream herself hoarse, trying to be noticed. She believed the whole world was what she could see outside of her window. In a way, it was. This was one method Cerberus employed to physiologically and psychologically abuse Jack. This should be obvious, but socially isolated children grow up to be depressed and anxious adults, and Jack is no different. Jack lives in a constant state of survival, feeling desperately alone, but terrified of being used and abused again. When she was at the Cerberus facility, the staff would force her to fight the other biotic children, shocking her when she refused and injecting her with narcotics when she complied. They conditioned a Pavlovian response in Jack where she felt euphoric when she fought. I don't think I can overstate how terrible this is. Even as an adult, Jack can still get tingly feelings reminiscent of the drugs when she uses her biotic abilities. Jack eventually escaped... And for many years, she lived a life of frequent crime and infrequent associations. She ran with gangs, became a pirate, and even stole a space station just to crash it into a Hanar moon, which the Hanar call vandalism for whatever reason. At one point, she was in a cult, which is apparently where her shaved head comes from. Eventually, her illegal exploits caught up to her, and she was imprisoned on the Blue Sun's prison ship, Purgatory. Jack continued to be victimized here, where both prisoners and guards alike attacked her and raped her. Jack managed to murder every one of her abusers, but this led her to being imprisoned in cryostasis. Her recruitment mission sends you to Purgatory, and as you walk towards the back of the prison, you get a sense of how harsh this place is. You witness prisoners being beaten and begging you to take them with you, even as a slave. Once people find out you're there for Jack, however, they quickly want to stay put. Jack is, according to Warden Curl, the meanest handful of violence and hate he's ever met. After he tricks you into a locked room because Jack is just too valuable to give up, Shepard and company break out and go looking for Jack. Jack's establishing character moment is emerging from cryostasis, pissed off and ripping her restraints off, just to cut through three mechs like wet cardboard and go on a rampage, killing anyone in her way. Psychotic biotic indeed. Once you catch up to her, she doesn't want to go with you at first. What the hell do you want? My name is Shepard, and I'm here to get you off this ship. I'm not going anywhere with you. You're Cerberus. Why does it matter if I'm with Cerberus? They've been on my ass for years. Anytime I get free, they put a huge bounty on me. That's why Warden Curl figured he'd struck gold when he caught me. She's destroyed Cerberus property and killed Cerberus people. Hence the bounty. You die first. 
If you've listened to our Miranda episode, you know that Jack and Miranda are foils to one another. Both had outside forces manipulating their natures to try and craft the most perfect versions of themselves against their will. However, the way it conditioned to them into adulthood shows very differently. Miranda is focused on perfection and control, whereas Jack is focused on survival and avoiding further victimhood. Cerberus is important to both characters, but for opposite reasons. For Miranda, Cerberus was a way to freedom and agency away from her father, but for Jack, it meant imprisonment, fear, and abuse. Jack took what Cerberus refined and now wields her power and aggression to reassure herself that she will never be powerless again. Miranda and Jack's relationship has a lot of tension, which creates interesting stories and chemistry between characters. Not necessarily sexual tension, although we shouldn't rule that out for them. For Miranda, admitting that Cerberus tortured children, and especially Jack, would mean tarnishing her perfect world and ruin the one thing that gave her freedom, Cerberus. Miranda even calls Jack a mistake, suggesting she was a failed science experiment whereas Miranda was a success. Jack is everything she hates. Jack shoves imperfections in your face, can't control her emotions, openly flaunts her base desires, and has no tact, to say the least. It's easy to look at Jack and immediately dislike her. And that is exactly the point. Jack is the definition of an ice queen, but a paragon shepherd, or at least a shepherd who doesn't always make the renegade choices, can turn Jack into a defrosting ice queen. Jack's entire persona is driven out of fear dressed as anger. Everything she does is to ensure that she will never be a victim again. This is why it's so difficult to get close to her initially in the game. Because so far, every time she's allowed anyone past her thorny exterior, they've used her. A notable exception is a past lover who sacrificed himself for her, leaving her with survivor's guilt. That only further cemented her conviction to never get close to someone again. There's no reason I should be alive, but I am. You know why? Instinct. It's worked for me so far, and I'm not going to change. Hey, Shepard. No one's ever asked me about this shit. It's strange to talk about. So fuck you. And thanks for asking. Jack truly cannot comprehend someone getting to know her for any other reason than trying to get something out of it. Jack believes the galaxy is only out for themselves, and so is she. Because being lonely and alive is better than being naive and dead. Pretty early in Shepard and Jack's budding friendship, there is an opportunity to have sex with Jack if you are a male Shepard. This is considered the renegade romance, although it's only a sex scene. Jen, take us away with this scene's breakdown. You eyeing me up? Because if this is just about sex, maybe you should just fucking say so. I'd be lying if I said no. You're different. Figured. People always want something. Well, what? Right now, then? All right, Jack. I like how you move. I bet you do. And wow, do they hit the ground running on this one. If you want a wham-bam-thank-you-ma'am side quest, this is right up your alley. When Shep says he likes the way that Jack moves, he grabs her by the waist and pulls her in close, chest to chest. When Jack responds with, I bet you do, 
she shoves him back hard enough to slam him into a wall. Even her biotics flare for a moment. She follows through with a rough and intense kiss. She leaves him temporarily stunned and backs up, intentionally knocking things off of the tables. Shepard stalks forward and clears off more surface areas. Jack says, come here, and nimbly jumps up, grabs his shoulders, wraps her legs around his waist, and executes a perfect takedown. Now straddling the bro with his back on the table, she licks his face. Fuck yeah. And then continues to kiss all over his chest and neck. They play a little more intense version of the Miranda domination game of who will end up on top. On the table, up against the wall, on the floor, every inch of Jack's below deck area was covered. And while the scene in my head isn't over, Jack is seen throwing her head back in passion as it fades to black. So, a solid 7 out of 10 for a good, fun fuck. I would also like to note that Kasumi heard it all. If you speak to her after that encounter, she will suggest turning down Jack's biotic implants before you hook up with her again, because Cerberus probably can't afford to build another Normandy. But doing this option means that the romance cannot continue. In fact, Jack refuses to speak to Shepard anymore, telling him there is nothing to talk about any time a conversation is attempted. It's also not a repeatable mission. So I guess Kasumi doesn't have to worry about round two. For obvious reasons, we will move forward as if we didn't take this option. This is what the full scene sounds like if you don't take the rent-a-fuck option. I have to go, but we should do this again. Wait. My turn with the questions. People usually walk by now. Why are you really asking all these things? Are you eyeing me up? Because if this is just about sex, maybe you should just fucking say so. I'm in no hurry. I want to know what makes you tick first. You don't need to know someone to sleep with them. You just have to know where to put it. Okay. Maybe we'll talk later. Maybe not. Oh. Normally, saying a paragon line gives you an expected response. Something along the lines of, Oh wow, Shepard, you're so knowable and heroic and right. But with Jack, if you tell her you're there to save her on purgatory, she'll call you a pussy. Here, when you tell her you want something true and genuine, she refutes it angrily. Because with Jack, everything is the opposite. She is inherently different from the other squad mates, not because the rest of them have had trauma-free lives, but because Jack's trauma has given her a psychotic, skewed version of the world in her formative years. Shepard is literally the first person in her life to care for her genuinely, unless you're not and you sleep with her immediately, aka use her, just like all the rest. I think that's why the renegade sex scene is so aggressive. She's pissed. She knows Shepard is using her, so she's using him too, to get out her anger at everyone. I suppose some people do like rough sex, but I don't think Jack actually likes it. I think it's what she's used to, and also a reason why she's always expecting the worst from people. No one's ever actually cared for her. This brings us to her loyalty mission. To try and work through her past trauma, Jack will request that Shepard and company help her set a bomb inside her old cell on Pragia and blow up the Tetlin research facility. 
While you're there making your way through the facility, there is increasing evidence that the way Jack remembers escaping the facility is not exactly what happened. Jack believes that one day, everyone just started to attack her. Staff, other biotic children, just everyone. And she beat them all and escaped because she was the toughest. That's not exactly true. The other children were used to protect Jack from experiments because Jack had the strongest biotic potential, and they escaped before Jack. The staff were instructed not to hurt her under any circumstance during the riot, but Jack remembers starting the riot and everyone attacking her. This is likely due to trauma. Trauma, to get a little science-y, affects the hippocampus, or the part of your brain responsible for creating and recalling episodic memory, and can make memories disjointed and segmented. It can also prevent information, like words, images, sounds, etc., from different parts of the brain from combining to make a semantic memory. Jack's memory of the event is her truth, but it is not the truth. This is just another symptom of her torture and abuse at the hands of Cerberus. Once you've secured Jack's loyalty, a male shepherd can continue to flirt and talk to her to try and cement the romance. Jack has been around the block a few times, and her constant state of survival has her suspicious as hell of these kinds of advances. Hey. What's happening? You got a lot of questions, don't you? I miss your friendly nature when you're not around. Been thinking. We've seen a lot of shit together now, and you're always coming to talk to me. Shepard, you got feelings for me? Because I don't need the complication. Yes. Freaks you out, doesn't it? Leave me alone, Shepard. I don't want this. You're lying. Don't tell me what I feel. I've been here before and I know what I need. For me. Go away. I don't want you coming around here for a while. My god, those lines hit hard. Oh. Um, letting Shepard in means being vulnerable, which is something that absolutely terrifies Jack. Remember, she has no precedence for genuine relationship outside of the one man who sacrificed himself to save her, which she believes was stupid of him to do. He had loved her, and it's that love that makes her believe it's a mistake. She says that when you feel, you get sloppy. The death is a simple on-off switch, but survivor's guilt burrows into her and refuses to let go. She's being eaten alive by fear and regret. She's lived with so much pain, and she's so afraid to love Shepard, because she is wrought with fatalistic thinking. She thinks it will end in pain, or death, or both. But before we knock down the remainder of Jack's wall, we're going to take a mid-break so we can thank our patrons and you can hear about some of the sponsors of our show. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Time for some fun facts. According to Jack's Shadow Broker dossier, she writes poetry under the pseudonym Jacqueline Knott, which is a play on a feminized version of her name, Jack, and subject zero, because Knott is an English word that means zero. And it's the last name I used for her Sims character. <laughs> oh, you need to send screenshots of the Sims characters um, in the Discord. I did. Oh, I put it in a different one. But yes, I will add that to the Sims chat that we have on our personal Discord server. Also, Jack was originally intended to be a pansexual romance option. Just in case someone in the audience is unaware... Pansexuality means that your sexual choices are not limited to biological sex, gender, or gender identity. It's not that different from bisexuality, but pansexuality is essentially attraction based on anything other than sex, gender, or gender identity, whereas bisexuality is an attraction to one or more genders. Some might describe being pan as just being attracted to people. Jack will make some references in-game to how she's been with partners of varying genders in the past, as her sexuality was removed from the game late in development. I think it's a true shame, honestly. It is a shame. Removing it makes no sense to me, and not putting it back in for the Legendary Edition makes even less sense. Same with Jacob. It shouldn't have been removed, and it should have made it into Legendary Edition. They even left the lines in about Jack's ex-girlfriend. Why leave that in if you're cutting that aspect out of her persona? <sighs> but now it's time to do something much more pleasant than thinking about deleted scenes. And it's time to thank our patrons. A big, big, big ass thank you to Commander Shanko, Meiji Moose, Apollo, and Toasty. Hearts to you hopeless romantics. If you want a weekly shout out or would like to join our monthly patron chats or even throw these two girls a few bucks a month to supply the wine fund, come and find us by going directly to patreon.com slash two girls, one ship. Yes, please. And thank you. I need more wine. <laughs> All right, let's get into our favorite part of the episode, the romance analysis. You know what it's like to think you're alone and find out you're not? Pretty much, yeah. You don't have to agree so fast, you fucker. <laughs> it just makes me giggle. Yeah, I know, everything she says. Okay, back to Jack. After this interaction, Jack doesn't talk about your relationship again until the end. As she mentioned, she needed time to think. This is all so new to her. Even just acknowledging that she needed space and time is mature for Jack. And thankfully, a Paragon Shepherd respects her boundaries and allows her time to consider the possibilities. Before the end run, as the Normandy makes her way to the Omega-4 relay, an emotional Jack will come up to the captain's quarters. She's finally thought it through. We've arrived at the romance culmination scene. 
Let's see what happens in the commander's quarters between Jack and Shepard. Shepard. Well, I wasn't expecting you, Jack. I was thinking about you, and maybe you're right that I need... It's all right. No more questions. This is a complete 180 from the Renafuck, and I'm so happy that they did it that way. Yes, the one-shot scene was hot. Yes, it was passionate. But this? This is what Jack needs. The scene isn't about blurring the pain-pleasure lines. It isn't about giving some guy what he wants so he will leave you alone. It's about making love. Creating a physical bond after establishing security and safety. We just heard all the dialogue spoken in that scene. They don't need words tonight. Jack's walls are down, and she has tears openly on her face as Shepard hugs and holds her. It's a tight embrace, and she buries his face into his chest. It fades to black, and I would have been happy there. But it continues. Jack is seeing being placed on the bed, being gently guided by Shepard. Arms above her head, we finally get to see the bro do his variation of the Bioware body crawl. But slowly, with no sense of urgency, he makes his way up her stomach and kisses her neck and lips while interlocking their hands. He's holding her hand as she cries during their lovemaking. Both hands move up to cup her face and more sweet kisses while Jack's hands run up and down his back. I am overwhelmed by this romance. It has rocked me to my core and has been forever emblazoned on my mind for what a beautiful love scene can be. For Mass Effect 2's Jack and Commander Bro Shepard, I give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I agree. This romance is so, so good. I am a complete sap, so anytime people become better versions of themselves through love or the love conquers all mentality, I do love to see it. Remember in the Dragon Age Origins Morrigan episode where I said that she needed healing from a female friendship? Well, I think Jack does her most healing with a shepherd romance. Everyone has hurt Jack, but no one has ever loved her. This is her chance at love. In the beginning of this scene, she's crying, and they embrace. I absolutely love that they showed her getting some physical connection in the form of a hug, which to me is just another example of how the best romances in Mass Effect 2 are done. They show true compassion, not just sexual attraction. Not only is it super romantic to be hugged that way, but being hugged actually reduces your cortisol levels, the stress hormone, and raises oxytocin, the calming hormone. It also strengthens feelings of connection, which is exactly what Jack is looking for. At her core, at this point in her story, she is still that scared little girl crying under her desk in her cell. She has been falling through the dark nothingness of space her whole life, and finally someone has caught her. She has a safety net now. I give this a 10 out of 10. I'm just sad my femshep couldn't romance her. Truly. Yeah. You got some thoughts? Oh, no. It's I know just you like, thoughts. I do have lots of thoughts. And I, I agree. I mean, like normally sometimes 
sometimes the sex scenes are really good, but the romance isn't, or the romance is really good and the sex scene isn't. Miranda Garris. And it's just like, this one does it. It really, really does it. Mm. Yeah. And that, lovely listeners, is where we would usually end our show. But for this episode, we have a special guest. Someone whose favorite video game romance of all time is Jack. And that person is none other than my amazing co-host, Genesis. Welcome to the show, Genesis. (laughs) Can you tell our audience your preferred name and pronouns? Uh, If you don't know who I am by now, uh, what the hell? (laughs) But yes, I am Genesis and I use she, her pronouns. And it's why I start every show by saying I'm Genesis, the girl who whatever I think of that day. Because pronouns, no matter what you choose for yourself, should be normalized. Yeah, agreed. And to start things off, can you give us a little bit of your origin story about how you came to love Mass Effect? Mass Effect. Uh, Yeah, that's been talked about. uh, (laughs) That's been talked (laughs) about a few different ways on a few different podcasts. But essentially, I was late to the game and started playing the original version of the game on the Xbox Game Pass back in May of 2021. And it will take more than 32 PSI to cleave me off of the side of this base now. It's a testament to this story that all of us who played it when it first came out can still play it again as if we never have before. And how it can attract new people despite being over a decade old. But we discussed a lot of things about Jack today. Did you learn anything new? Uh, Yes, actually. And we've said this about every character that we've covered so far, that there is always something more to learn. But nothing major about her history was new to me this time around. But the only thing that I didn't know was that she was taken away when she was only four. And that is horrible. Like... I remember Lex at four and I couldn't, mm -mm, no, 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 no. My kid's turning three this year, so I'm not quite there, but I, I don't, I know Jack's not a real person, but this kind of stuff happens to real people all the time and it's disgusting and horrible. And also it's crazy just for Cerberus and lore because they're supposed to be like this human supremacy thing. And yet that's what they do to their fellow man as well. Their fellow human. So It doesn't even seem accurate for them to be that bad, but they are. So Cerberus sucks dick. But I know we're gonna get into the big reason why you wanted to be here for Jack's episode as the guest. So the thing is, is is there anything that would have brought more depth to this romance or anything we missed? Yeah. And it's the main reason that I wanted to be at the interview today. Look... I'm aware that this is literally our podcast, and I could have said all that I'm about to say in the episode proper. But my personal experiences with the character are not canon. They are not what everyone is going to feel. And that's what I feel that the interviews should be about. And it didn't feel right to say all of this in actual game discussion. So deep grounding breath. Let's get into my Jack story. I think that we can all agree that a majority of the changes made from the original trilogy to Legendary were great. Updated combat in Mass Effect 1, continuity between face uploads, and overall graphic updates. So pretty. One little graphic update involves the Jack romance. 
My first three playthroughs were on the original trilogy version. I did two FemShep runs, and then I did my first Bro run, all on the original game. I did do the Renafuck option just because, and then I loaded the save file, and then did the full romance. Jack, to me, had one of the most impactful stories. Even as a FemShep, I connected with her. Parts of her story were my story. And who doesn't love a tatted-up, tits-out woman who swears like a sailor? I still wish that my FemShep could have romanced her, but then it would make the choice between Jack and Garrus too difficult. <laughs> That's not what I'm here to talk about today. Today is a story of traumatic and tragic moments that have led me to where I am today. Just like Jack, I too am a survivor. Going through something horrific will change a person. I've talked a bit on this podcast about how all of my emotions come out of my eyes in the form of tears. I cry at sappy movies. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I've cried at the peaks of pleasure, and I've cried in the moments of afterglow. For two years, I suffered through what I thought was love. I was conditioned to believe that sex was there for a man's enjoyment. I was taught that there was not really an option because I had said yes before. I believed that there was no way out because when I asked for help, when I went to those around me, all they saw was the smiling sociopath, and I must have misread the situation. In what I can see now is one of those fucked up little pieces of universal randomness. It was an adorable redhead named Steve that helped me get out. And... Even though we weren't together for too long, who knows where I would be today. After that ended, I got with my now husband. I know that it took a lot of personal development to be able to relearn how to express emotions and for me to be able to really enjoy sex when I got there, when I got to the point where I truly trusted my partner, was in tune with my emotions, and was in tune with my own body. I cried. When I saw Jack go through the same thing, being pissed off at the world, having the thickest walls possible surrounding her heart, using hypersexuality as a defense mechanism when we really just needed someone to show us what actual affection was, I broke. I know that Jack is not my lover of choice, but who I identify with as me. On the same hand, Helping this digital person, this written character, someone who I can never meet in the real world, made it so she was my true bro canon. I am in the scenes with Jack. I am Jack, not Shepard. The main reason that I brought these stories up, and one of the main reasons that I fell in love with Jack, was that she too also cries when she gets to the commander's quarters. Her mascara is running down her face in the most beautifully tragic lovemaking scene I have ever experienced. I have been Jack. I know exactly what it feels like, and exactly what is happening in the scene. The tears make the scene believable and beautiful. But remember the minor changes that I talked about between the original trilogy and Legendary? Well, it broke my heart to see that they changed a detail in Legendary. In the original, when Jack starts crying, her mascara is running down her face, and it stays there 
throughout the entire scene. Noticeable black streaks running down her face, showing everything that is happening in her mind. Even when Shepard is kissing her cheeks, it's still there. In Legendary Edition, they disappear. The only split second we see the tears is when she's lying in bed and the light hits her face just right, and you can see a wet sheen on her face. I don't know why, and I don't want to know why it was removed. It could have been that it wasn't supposed to be black tears in the original, and they fixed it. It could have been wanting to make the scene cleaner and gave her real tears. It could have been an oversight, and when they worked on graphics, they changed all tears to look the same and didn't think or have the time to go back and change those specific tears to the painful beauty they were. But in my personal opinion, taking away the makeup-ruining tears made the scene less impactful and took away a part of what made this scene so unique. Yeah, I had never noticed that until you pointed it out earlier this week. And I watched both scenes to compare, and it's such a noticeable difference. I'm not sure why it changed either, but I definitely think it was the wrong move. It makes, I mean, she wears a crap ton of makeup. So like, not only is that a more practical thing to happen, but it's also like, it's much more visible than the plain tears in the new version that you barely see. Like, you can't tell that she's crying, which is a key part of this scene, you know? So I don't know why that happened either, but I completely agree with you. Especially, I mean, I I don't have anything nearly as dark as Jack in my past, but I think I think most women have had some sort of trauma surrounding sex happen to them in their life. So I can relate on some level. And that's why when I first watched this full romance, because I've never actually played through the game Romancing Jack, but when I first watched it, I was like, this is the most human romance, which maybe some people come to play this game for the alien romances, right? But like when I say human, I mean, like she's literally crawling her way back to being a human again, instead of just an experiment. She doesn't do that fully unless you romance her. And this scene, that culmination scene is why. It makes a lot more sense how much more balanced she is when you see her in three if you romance her as Shepard, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, And definitely we are going to cover her again in three because, Mm. you know, you get not only the Citadel DLC date, but you do get another mission with her and things like that. And so cover her again and we can talk more about it but you know it's a the fact that she really does fall for you and on one of my bro runs i broke up with her so that way i could get with caden as a man and she takes it surprisingly well and like that also kind of hurt i was like i don't know how i feel about the fact that she's like you know what it didn't really work for me either. And I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> I loved you. <laughs> but we can get into all of that later. Oh, yeah. Jack, to me, is just amazing. Um, and I'll post in the Discord uh, the two different versions of the scene so that way people can see. Because like my background on Twitch, if you're watching live with us tonight, is what it looks like in the original trilogy. Um, and then I'll post a comparison picture of what it looks like uh in the legendary edition. So as someone who's done multiple playthroughs, 
What makes you come back each time? Garrus. <laughs> yeah. And Rex. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And Rex and Grunt and Jack and James and, well, fuck, dude. It's all of them. I think it's apparent at this point that I just, I've, it's been less than a year that I've been playing this game. And these digital people have wrecked and ruined and fixed and healed me. I, yeah, I just love it. And I'm forever grateful for what this decade-old video game has brought into my life. Both the original trilogy and the Legendary Edition. Agreed. I don't know if I have a different view playing it since the beginning. Like, it's the same to me, even all these years later. It's just as impactful of a story to me as when I was six and my mom was reading us The Lord of the Rings. Or when I was 11 and started reading Harry Potter you know, like those core stories that like became a part of who I am. That's you formed Mass Effect a too. core memory. <laughs> yes, a core memory unlocked. Yeah. And that's all thanks to the great writers at Bioware. <laughs> you know, they're not the only studio that knows how to tell a good story, but man, they were one of the first. Yeah. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> uh sure i'll plug myself oh i guess i can actually plug the witcher lore cast as well because i've been on their recent patreon episodes mm. um so i think i've been on three of them now um we did valentine's day back in february and that one was really fun because we talked about the witcher romances so if you want to hear my hot takes on that go listen to the happy valentine's day episode of the witcher lore cast but if you like what you've heard tonight please be sure to leave a review on itunes or give us a rating on spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts you can find me and our two girls one ship chat on the robots radio discord channel and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls, One Ship. Links to those are in the description. Yeah, and I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well. And also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And we also have our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord, where we can nerd out on all our favorite CGI'd significant others. So come join us there too. Links in the description as per usual. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you always need at least one good thing on a Monday. Check out the description. Once again, I'm telling you to check out the description. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry, and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. 
So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember... Swooping.